Before we get into the message for this evening, I want to make just a few comments concerning the gospel reading, the sermon text for tonight on page 8 of your bulletin. Page 8, verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, this is the travel narrative. Christ is going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance and met him. Note, they're not ten lepers. They are men with leprosy. Their illness does not swallow up their humanity. They're not defined by their disease. And it's true, throughout Luke's gospel, he speaks of people with illness in this same manner. In Luke 5, he speaks not of a paralytic, but a man who is paralyzed. In the English translations, we often shorten it. He's a paralytic or he's a demoniac. No, in Luke's gospel, literally, he's a man demon-possessed. Verse 13. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now that is meekness. Meekness is a shyness. It's a quietness. They don't ask for healing. Beggars can't be choosers. They ask for mercy. And they leave it to the Lord to decide what shape that mercy takes. That's meekness. Verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Note their faith. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. Jesus speaks to them as if they are already healed. And they respond as if they are already healed. Jesus speaks as if the deed is done because to him it is. And Jesus speaks to us in the very same way today. St. Paul writes in Romans 3, we believe that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You see, we believe in our righteousness before God even though we may not look righteous. We may not always behave, and we don't, in a righteous way. But we believe in what the Lord has said concerning us. We are righteous in his sight, not by works, but by faith in the one who did the work for you and for me. We believe in our sonship. John writes in his first epistle, chapter 3, Dear friends, 
now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are sons of God today through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And yet, we don't look any different from the people walking around in Kroger's or driving up and down Central Avenue. But we believe in our sonship. We believe the word of the Lord, and it is so. It is so. And I love the words of our Lord in Mark chapter 11. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, just like the ten lepers, and it will be yours. If not in this world, then in the world to come. We bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Roman number one in your sermon outline, page nine. Jesus has been given an almost thankless job. Verse 17 of your gospel reading. But Jesus responded, and notice these poignant questions that he asks. Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I mean, when you listen to those questions, you can hear the frustration in his voice. Letter A, nine people of God, nine Israelites were cleansed. And and you sense that Jesus is frustrated. He's frustrated by the ingratitude of his own people, his own kind. He identifies with his own, and he does. Maybe in the same way you and I might identify with an athletic team. How do you feel when your team underperforms? It's discouraging. You want to throw something at the TV. God's people underperform. Letter B. The foreigner doesn't. The stranger does not. He's cleansed. And notice the language Luke uses to describe this man. In verse 15, he saw that he was cleansed. That's a salvation word. To see is a salvation concept. Jesus said, I have come that the blind may see, and those who claim to see may become blind. And then verse 15, he turned back. He goes back. Seeing that he has been cleansed, He sees the source of his cleansing, that's Jesus. And turning back is another salvation word. It's the word commonly used for repentance in the New Testament. It denotes a turning away from God, from self and sin, 
toward God. You're turning toward God. And notice he's praising God, verse 15. He's giving thanks to God. Those are evidences of salvation. Verse 18, he is found. Has no one been found to give praise to God except this stranger, this foreigner? Found is a salvation word. The good shepherd finds the lost sheep. And then in verse 19, your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. The word in the Greek denotes salvation. There's more going on than cleansing from leprosy. Something greater has happened. So let her see why the difference between the nine and the one. Well, point number one, nine of them are likely, I say likely, this is my interpretation, they're likely looking ahead. They're anticipating what's now before them as cleansed people. They're anticipating what they will do with their newfound freedom. They will return home. They will return to worship. They will visit family. They'll visit friends. They'll return to their careers. They anticipate what will be. They're looking ahead. There's nothing wrong with looking ahead, but you must ask yourself, what are you looking to? To what you will do or what God will do? There's a difference. Point number two, only one is definitely looking back. Looking back to what the Lord has done for him. Verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that it had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And then verse 18, the words of our Lord, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. Christianity always involves, among other things, it always involves looking back. We Christians look back to the cross. We look back to our baptism. We look back to God's saving work in Christ. We also look ahead. We also anticipate. But when we look ahead, it is to what Christ will do for us. He will return in glory. He will raise us in glory. This is Christian anticipation. It's not, we will go to this or that town and make a lot of money and do this, that, and the other. We, we, we. No, we anticipate what the Lord will do. That's our anticipation. And that anticipation gives comfort. That anticipation is the gospel. So Roman numeral two, the goal of God's grace is gratitude. It's gratitude, thankfulness. Letter A, God loves to give. We all know that. There's nothing we have that's not been given. It's not earned. 
He has created us to receive. We are receivers. What do you have that you haven't received, been given? He's created us to receive and to praise. To praise. I love what the Lord said in Isaiah 43, verse 21. Quote, I give water in the wilderness. I give rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. That's why we're here to declare the wonderful deeds of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our witness. Created to praise. And letter B, gratitude toward God, thanksgiving toward God is Christocentric. It is Christ-centered. It's directed at Jesus. He is our access to the Trinity. The Samaritan in our gospel lesson, thanks God where? Not at the temple in Jerusalem, but at the feet of our Lord. The Samaritan has found the true temple of God. The flesh of Christ is the true temple of God, for Jesus is God in the flesh. In verse 15 of the reading, now one of them when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. The word there in the Greek, euchariston, is a word always used of giving thanks to God and God only. And this thanks is given to Christ. The lowly Samaritan, the outsider, sees that this man, Jesus, is more than a man. This Samaritan understands what I hope all of us understand, that if you want to see God, you must look at Jesus. If you want to hear God's voice, you must listen to Jesus. If you want to thank God, if you want to worship God, you must do so at the feet of Jesus and nowhere else. And let her see, God does not need our praise, but we do. We do. We have a need to praise God. Here's why. The human heart is an idol factory. We human beings will manufacture anything and everything to worship. We will devote our lives to anyone or anything that promises us a better life. They can never deliver, but we trust the promise, right? In the 2008 presidential campaign, a man named Shepard Ferry made a famous campaign poster of then-Senator Barack Obama. It featured a picture of Senator Obama, and beneath the picture in large letters was written the word hope. Now, hope is a religious term. Hope is a theological concept. And our hope must be in the Lord and not in any man. And that is not a criticism of President Obama. 
he did not make the poster. Rather, it is a criticism of our human nature and our tendency to manufacture idols. And the problem with any idol is simply this. It cannot deliver you from your real enemies, sin, death, and the devil. Only the Lord can do that. My friends, whatever you believe you cannot live without, there is an idol lurking there. And Jesus said, there's only one thing you can live without, you cannot live without. There's only one thing needful, and that is God's word. And we have access to God through his word and through his word alone. Through his word, we learn of his love, his forgiveness, evident at the cross. In letter D, we experience gratitude by remembering what Jesus has done or by returning daily to what Jesus has done. The Christian's attitude is not, well, I should be more grateful. It's not, I must try harder to be grateful. That is not the way of the gospel, that is the way of the law. Gratitude is not the result of trying harder. Frustration is the result of that. Praise directed toward God is not the result of anything you and I do. Instead, God calls us to return to or remember to go back to what he has done. God calls us to return, like the Samaritan, to the feet of our Lord Jesus. God calls us to look back, to reflect on the cross and the salvation accomplished for us there. That's how gratitude begins. God calls us to look back to our baptism and to the salvation given out there. Salvation's earned at the cross, it's given out in baptism. God calls us back, Jesus calls us back to return to his supper and to his life-giving body and blood, which is distributed there. My friends, gratitude toward God is not the result of trying harder. It's the result of the gospel. It's as simple as that. And where this good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and believed, gratitude, praise, and thanksgiving naturally spring forth. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.